Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican correspondent Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Pope Francis opened a global summit of bishops on the future of the Catholic Church in the Vatican today. Let us ask that the Synod be a keros of fraternity, a place where the Holy Spirit will purify the Church from gossip, ideologies, and polarization. He then pointed out the importance of placing God at the center, not the discussions between the supporters of of one idea or those of another. For the first time, women will vote. Week one of the Synod on Synodality has wrapped. We'll give you a rundown of what's happening inside the Synod Hall and what Jerry has heard from participants so far. I'm Colleen Dully. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. It is uh, Monday, October 9th, as we're recording this. How are things in Rome? Good morning from Rome. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. Can't distinguish morning from afternoon right now. (laughs) No, can't distinguish the date, can't distinguish morning from afternoon. I even feel that way over here covering the Senate, and I think it'll only get crazier when I'm over there in Rome with you starting on Wednesday. So Jerry, we've actually had quite a lot of news even outside of the Senate. You, I know, have been watching very closely as the fighting has rapidly escalated between Israeli forces and Hamas this weekend in and around the Gaza Strip after the surprise attack by Hamas on Israel. Uh, the Pope commented on this this past Sunday. He said, Let the attacks and weapons cease, please, because it must be understood that terrorism and war bring no solutions, but only the death and suffering of many innocent lives. War is a defeat. Every war is a defeat. Let us pray for peace in Israel and Palestine. Jerry, on a personal note, your wife, Elisabetta, listeners may not know, she's a, a war correspondent for the Argentine paper La Nación. She recently flew into Tel Aviv. How is she doing? What is she seeing right now? She's in Jerusalem right now. She got in this morning. Very difficult to get in because the flights are not going. Then she went into Jerusalem and immediately sirens started sounding and she was in the, in a car under a tunnel. She said the Israeli people are traumatized. They felt they had security because of the strength of their military, the high level of their intelligence, and of their compact nation. But they've been governed by the most right-wing government in the history of the nation, which has also been a contributing factor. Exactly. So we really have to, I think, do what the Pope says, pray for peace. All right, Cherry, we will be praying for peace, and we will be praying for Elisabetta's safety as she continues reporting on this. You did a little more reporting on this. You spoke to a senior Vatican official who went unnamed in your story. What did he have to say? What did the Vatican have to say? Well, I've spoken to a few of them, but one said that he considered this the most 
dangerous situation, perhaps even more dangerous than the war in Ukraine, because the possibility of its extension, of its escalation is very high. He also said that this is a fruit of the disengagement of the key actors to the peace process in these past recent years. And America specifically, as one of the ones who had let the situation flow and didn't make any real initiative for peace, the colossal intelligence failure, plus the extraordinary meticulous preparation for this attack, has shocked, traumatized Israel. Now you have seven, eight hundred Israelis dead, which is an, an enormous number if you look back over the conflicts in all these years. And then you have now 570, the last count I saw, of Palestinians killed in Gaza and 123,000 Palestinians in Gaza forced out of their homes, displaced completely. And the bombing of cities is considered a war crime under international law. And you've had a thousand strikes in Gaza, which is a heavily populated, 2.3 million in a very small area. This enclave has been effectively under siege for the past 15, 17 years. And now Israel is putting on a total blockade on Gaza, which means no electricity, no food being allowed in, no other goods being allowed in. The lack of electricity means water will run out. And of course, medicines, mosques have been hit and a refugee camp has been hit. One crime compounded by other crimes, as the Vatican official said to me, this is an extremely dangerous situation. And Cardinal Pizzaballa, one of the new cardinals who is the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, he said in a statement that he calls on the international community, the religious leaders in this region and in the world, to make every effort to help de-escalate the situation. And I think, as you said, this is likely only to escalate with how much worse things have gotten just in the last three days. There's too much call for vengeance. There's too much anger. We're in a terribly dangerous situation, Colleen. Let's turn our eyes now to the Vatican, to the Synod. We're going to start doing episodes twice a week. And so we'll be giving a lot more up-to-date information on the Synod. First off, we have some updates about health in the Synod. Cardinal Greg announced in the Synod this morning that four members of the Synod were absent uh, because they've got COVID. And he said, that's not a case for alarm. They are uh, being cared for. I saw that Pope Francis was not in the Synod session this morning. Is there any sign that he has COVID? I've had no indication he has COVID. I suspect that he may very well be concerned about what's happening in the Middle East. That would make a lot of sense and uh, may want to talk to various people. Uh, but uh, yesterday, I watched him at the Angelus. He was in perfect form. So let's just recap this first week. On Wednesday, October 4th, the Synod opened with that big opening mass where we saw lay people leading the procession in, in front of the bishops and the cardinals, which was a very striking image. And then the Synod gathered after mass in the Paul VI audience hall, which has been repurposed with all these round tables for the Synod. I'm just going to call it the Synod Hall. Jerry, you were covering the opening mass and then you were also following along. What's the energy like? What's it like being in Rome for this big event right now? Well, I think there's a great awareness, certainly among those in the church circles, that uh, something big is happening. I think everybody I've spoken to, and I've spoken to quite a few, everybody has said that the opening retreat really has left its mark on the Senate. People really tuned in, especially to Father Timothy Ratcliffe, the former Master General of the Dominicans. His speeches his talks to the Senate were inspiring, but they were also so concrete. Mm -hmm. Jerry, 
Have you been inside the Senate Hall? Could you give us a sense of what that's like? I've looked at the Senate Hall. I see what it is. And I am amazed because, Colin, I've often been in that audience hall with when you have eight thousand people perhaps inside in the audience or, or five thousand, I'm not sure exactly of the number. And there's a lot of noise, etc. And when they explained to me they would remove all the chairs, you'd have thirty-five round tables at which ten or twelve people will sit. I asked myself, there would be such a gaggle, it would be impossible for one group to hear what the other one is saying. Sometimes it's difficult to have even a private conversation. Mm-hmm. But surprisingly the acoustics have been really good and people have been very surprised that this has worked. And then with all the technology on the table, uh, people have begun to buy into this and they see it facilitates the work, the modern technology and the fact that you don't need texts uh, with different languages. You've got instant translation. This is an extraordinary advantage. And so I said the first three days were in some ways running in like you run in a new car. It takes a little time to get the car right up. And I think these first three days have been somewhat like this. And they gathered on that first day and heard talks from Pope Francis, from Cardinal Grech, the Synod Secretary General, and Cardinal Hollerich, who is the relator of the Synod. Jerry, maybe first you could tell us what a relator is, what his job is, and then what stood out to you from his two talks that first day. The relator, chief rapporteur, he's got one of the key roles in the Synod. He is the one who gives the introductory talk, who frames the discussion, and who also brings together the various elements with, of course, a team of theologians and assistants, and tries to synthesize at the end. His role is fundamental. He's a Jesuit from Luxembourg who spent much of his life, more than 20 years of his life in Japan, and he's really been remarkable with the clarity of his instructions to the synod participants. Remember, Colleen, there are 365 members of the synod. Right, full voting members. Yes, that includes the Pope. So it's for 365 days in a year, 365 members in the synod. In the first session, he said, first of all, to discern, but we can't discern without praying. And he said, this is the importance of having prayer and silence at various moments in the synod. After every three or four people have spoken, there's a moment for silence, two, three, four minutes. And that's to get people to think beyond the words, to get beyond what they have heard and try and understand what's in the heart of the speaker. Silence has peppered this whole synod. After three or four people speak, there's silence. So this distinguishes it from a parliament already. Francis has said time and time again, this is an ecclesial event, a spiritual event. It's not a debating club. It's not a discussion club. It's not a parliament. And we see this very clearly. So Cardinal Hollerich says, we're here to discern, but we can't discern without praying. Mm-hmm. And Jerry, Cardinal Hollerich, she mentioned, is a Jesuit. And obviously, one of the Jesuits' hallmarks is this practice of the discernment of spirits. I'm curious, you know, do you think that that is a practice that is catching on in the Synod Hall? Are people like learning how to do this? I've spoken to six or eight uh, members of the Synod over the weekend, mm-hmm. and most of them non Jesuits. And some of them said, Really, this first module has, and also the retreat, because they started doing some of this on the retreat, the three-day retreat. They said, it's kind of a learning process, and we 
have not been used to it, but we're finding it very interesting. Some, of course, have said, well, maybe there are other ways of doing it as well, but they are all buying into it. And they said that they reckon that about 80% of the members have already bought into it. Now they feel they're going into the meat of the discussions with the section B1, B2, and B3, which have all these concrete questions that uh, have been debated, which have made headlines in the press, etc., etc. But they're doing it away from the media because the Pope, the Synod organizers, Cardinal Holleridge, Cardinal Gregg, have been very insistent. This is not a one-theme synod. He said, this distorts the true reality of the synods. It's a reductionism of news into one nugget. Jerry, let's now talk about the Pope's speech at this opening synod. At the end, he spent a long time talking directly to members of the press, of the media, and also to the synod participants about how they should interact with the media. He said, we have to provide a communication that reflects this life in the Holy Spirit that they're trying to build within the synod hall. And he says, this requires an asceticism, a certain fasting from public speech in order to ensure this. So what exactly that means in practice isn't clear. If Synod participants are being asked not to speak to the press. One cardinal, Cardinal Muller, who has been a critic of the Synod, gave an interview to EWTN last week. He didn't reveal anything about the conversations at his table that's meant to be kept private. But other Synod participants have taken this guidance from the Pope to mean that they can't give interviews at all. And then the Synod rules themselves. We've seen a copy of them and they keep it a little bit vague. They're not supposed to talk about their own or other members' interventions to the group, even after the Synod ends. But that's kind of all the guidance they've gotten. So yeah, I just wanted to take a second to talk about the the secrecy here or the lack of secrecy. It's It's been interesting to see how they're navigating this. It's very important to see why the Pope is asking that. He's saying we want to get out of this polarization system. He hasn't put it in as many words, but he has said in, on the plane, you know, we don't want one to be saying, well, that one said this and this one said this. Yeah, it's pretty clearly the subtext here. Yeah. The Western media love conflict. Mm-hmm. If you've got conflict, you've got a story. Mm-hmm. If you don't have conflict, you don't have much of a story. That's right. And so the Pope is saying, no, we're not going down that track. We're blazing a new track, which can enable the church to get beyond polarization and learn to discuss and live together as brothers and sisters with different roles, but brothers and sisters in the faith, to build a body where we feel we belong and which is working for the mission, which is to make Christ known and to communicate his mission to the world. So Francis says, to do that, we need what he calls a kind of a fasting, a fasting from news. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is funny. He said he said in the middle of that sentence, I cut it out when I was reading it, but he, he said, this requires a certain asceticism. Pardon me for speaking this way to the journalists, a certain fasting from public speech. I thought that was funny. Yeah. But now I've begun to understand after, what are we now, five, six days, mm-hmm. not in the way that it was communicated in past sentence. Tell me what you mean. I will give you one example. Yeah. Last week, they discussed, the Senate opened on Wednesday, they discussed them. Thursday, Friday, and Saturday morning. They had discussions in the groups and they had plenary sessions where people were free to say what they wanted. And uh, I was told there was a lot of speaking by many people. I don't know if there were many women who spoke, mainly the men. There was a lot of this discussion in, in the first part. 
you have to listen carefully to the public statements that are being made. And Francis says, we want a different kind of reporting from journalists. We know there was a lot of things. Young people were discussed, women were discussed, uh, how the hierarchy, how the bishops have to exercise their role in relation to people. All these topics were discussed. In fact, somebody said to me, we had such a wide range of topics, but that was natural because the first module, there are five modules in this synod. The first module went from Wednesday afternoon until Saturday lunchtime. That was on really what is a synodal church? What is it like? And so people spoke from their own experiences in the local consultations at the diocesan, national, and continental level. Right. Jerry, we're going to discuss a lot of those topics, what you've heard from the Synod participants about these discussions so far after the break. But just to wrap up the first half of our show, I wanted to mention that I wrote an analysis on the secrecy at the Synod, kind of the path that the Vatican is having to navigate when it comes to maintaining privacy for the integrity of the discussions and for people to be able to speak clearly. And then on the other hand, how to maintain transparency. And so that is up at americamagazine.org, and I will link to it in the show notes. Jerry, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get into the meat of the discussions. We'll give an outline of what kind of the, the structure of this meeting is to really take our listeners inside of it. And then we'll talk about what's coming up next. Stay with us. Welcome back. So, Jerry, in the first couple of days of the Synod, uh, things have just been kind of ramping up, getting people comfortable in this kind of discussion process. So there was discussion in the small groups on Thursday, Friday, and for a half day Saturday about the synodal experience so far. People discussing what had happened in their local churches. It was sort of a, a primer of practicing this kind of conversation around the topic of synodality. Presumably because, you know, that'll help people just get into the the mode of thinking about this. I want to talk a bit about the structure of these conversations because our listeners, you know, have heard us talk a lot about the Synod, but they may not know exactly what's going on inside the hall. So each of these small groups at each table, my understanding is that they're broken down by language and then by last name alphabetically, but each of these small groups elects a rapporteur who will present the key points from their discussion to the full synod group. That full synod group is called the General Assemblies. At regular intervals, they return to the full group to present kind of the, the findings of their discussion. And then at the end of each module, each small group is writing a two-page summary that is sent to the synod organizers. And that will most likely, although this hasn't been officially confirmed, be compiled into a summary document at the end that the participants will vote on. Hollerich also explained about the roundtables. You have the 365 delegates sitting around in groups of 10 or 12, around 35 tables with screens, a little camera in the center, and microphones. And so the camera zones in on the person who's speaking and the microphones, and there's translation service. It's a highly technologically advanced way of discussing. One thing that really struck me was that you know, you mentioned the 365 voting members of whom the Pope is one are sitting at these round tables. And I was struck by the fact that, you know, we often see the Pope on the stage of the audience hall uh, speaking out to a crowd. Here, his whole round table, which includes Sister Natalie Beccar and Cardinal Greg and Cardinal Hollerich, they're 
they're on just like a slightly raised platform, maybe like a foot up. It's fractionally higher. Exactly. He really, it seems like he's among the the discussion group. Yes. And you know, many have said to me, this is so much better than the past synods. Some people who've been two and three and four synods, they said, this is so much better because before we were all sitting like in, in, in a theater, television, or a, or a cinema. Yeah, like an auditorium. Yeah, with the top speaker's words and everybody sitting here. That kind of hierarchical church image has been abolished. You said Cardinal Hollerich mentioned this. What did he say about it? He explained very clearly that, you know, in a sense, there's a certain element of equality. We're starting all from being baptized. We have different roles, but in the same church. It's what synodality is. Not one above the other, dictating and giving orders and the other following, but at the same level, each making a different contribution according to the different roles they have. But uh, it's it's a kind of a, an icon of what the synodal church could be. If you take down to the parish level or a diocesan level where you have these diocesan pastoral councils, uh, is this how they operate? Right. This could well be the model and, and the bishops who come here and represent all the different hierarchies in the world, if they report back positively and comprehensively, they may be able to export this model of being synodal church. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the, the goals of this whole process. Jerry, what have you heard from the delegates who you've spoken to thus far? There were many topics, but one uh, that seems to have stood out was the question of formation. Because I've heard many outside the synod, Many bishops saying, we're concerned about the quality of seminary training and the new priests are coming out of the seminary. Some of them are what Pope Francis calls looking backward. So there's a real concern among many bishops, and apparently this emerged also during the Continental Synods. Let me just add here, when we talk about formation, we're, we're talking mainly about the, the teaching, the education of priests who are in training, but it also refers to the formation of lay people in their faith and how to how to live this kind of missionary call that we all have. Absolutely, Colleen. And remember, they now have here in Rome every year what they call the Baby Bishops Seminar, <laughs> where all the new bishops who have been appointed between, I think, uh, 1st of September and 31 of August of the previous year, are called to Rome really to introduce them into all the things that are happening in the church, to get them to understand the message of the Pope. And are we talking here about formation in synodality? Because I know these conversations the last few days were focused on synodality. Yes, part of the formation will be on synodality, which hasn't happened yet in most memories. Secondly, uh, it's also formation on, uh, you know, there's behind all this, is there's a, an understanding of church that it's come out of the Second Vatican Council about the whole mission of what's the church about. And it seems that a lot of people are still struggling to understand what was the teaching of Vatican II. And this synod is trying to implement Vatican II and the teachings of Vatican II and the insights that came from Vatican II. And so, in a way, it's taking the bishops in a different route back to the study table, but through their experience. I mean, I like that. That's It's an important thing to study is, is your experience. Jerry, what else came up in these first conversations besides this question of formation? 
young people, the question of the environment, the abuse question, migration, the recognition that women are paying such an enormous role in the church, but their position is not being recognized. I also noticed in one or two of the sessions already, when women spoke, they got a lot of applause. And this morning, when Cardinal Gregg noted that Sister Brambilla has been appointed to the number two position in the dicastery, that's the Department for Religious, which up to now had been held by men. We should say who this is. So this is the Sister Simona Brambilla, who is a consulata missionary from uh, Italy. And her appointment as the secretary of this Vatican dicastery is something that at least the leaders of the women's religious orders, the International Union of Superiors General, had been calling for for a long time to have a woman in this role. Yes, because if, if you look, the, the consecrated people in the world, the majority are women. But the ones who were in charge of the Vatican office, which was dealing with this, were men. And so when the Cardinal Greg drew attention to the fact that the Pope had made this appointment last Saturday, there was a very warm applause in, in the Synod Hall from everybody. And so it's a sign of the times, Colleen, I, I think here, that there's a there's such a, a recognition that women have been overlooked, underestimated, and sometimes maltreated in the church. Well, Jerry, you mentioned that it had mostly been men speaking at these sessions, so I, I do hope that the women are uh, speaking up soon. We had a talk this morning from Professor Anna Rowlands. Yes, the uh, UK-based professor who is a big voice on, on synodality. From the University of Durham. Mm -hmm. She's an expert on the social teaching of the church. Yes. And she, she was also participated in the presentation of Laudato Si, mm -hmm. the Pope's encyclical on on the, the environment, on our protection of our common home. Mm -hmm. And she gave one of the, the keynote talk this morning about the second module. Yes, that's right. It would be a cardinal or a bishop who was giving that talk. Cardinal Holleridge gave the first talk, the first introductory talk to module one. And uh, Timothy Ratcliffe gave also a spiritual introduction to the second. But here were two from, let's say, very significant church leaders in England. I, I think this is really a sign that things are changing, that a laywoman, not, not a religious woman, not a consecrated, a laywoman uh, will, will come in. You're doing a lot of writing on the women's in, in the Vatican, but you know, let's look at women in the church throughout. She, she's not in the Vatican. She's not part of the Vatican. She comes from the local church in England and Wales. Jerry, you mentioned that Dr. Rowland spoke about this next module. Maybe that can transition us into our discussion of what's coming next. So these first few days of discussion were considered module one, and this was this discussion of synodality, kind of the, the primer on how to have these conversations in practice. Going into module two, this is going to go throughout the week uh, through Thursday, October 12th, and this is the module on communion. And they have a few key questions that they're going to be reflecting on. For our listeners, take a look at the worksheets in the in the working document. You can see all the questions that they're reflecting on. So this question of preaching the truth, but also you know reaching beyond and and having a, a relationship of love. How can a dynamic relationship of gift exchange between the churches grow? That's within the Catholic Church, and then also how can a synodal church fulfill its mission through a renewed ecumenical commitment? So. 
there's there's a lot of these questions of our relationship with other Christians within the Catholic Church, the relationship between love and truth, right, which is sort of analogous to justice and mercy. It seems like grounds for a really fruitful conversation. Oh, and also a dialogue amongst religions, of course. What people are being asked to say is we are meant to be reaching out to people. How are we doing it? We're a church that's meant to be concerned with the poor. How are we doing it? We're a church that's meant to be concerned with each other. How are we relating to each other? To take uh, from what one bishop said to me, now we're going to get down to the concrete issues. And he was saying it with such enthusiasm. It, it's the moment they've been waiting for. You know, this next uh, two weeks, people will be dealing with some of the issues that made headlines in the paper, but a lot which the papers haven't even noticed. I think we'll get some little glimpses into it. And I, I come to think that the Pope's insistence on the privacy has given a lot of freedom to the participants to speak their minds and to say things which are contrary to each other. You know, you say this, and I really disagree with you for that. Yeah, I heard even in the first section that there there were some disagreements about what, what synodality means, and that's the kind of disagreement that Pope Francis wants people to be able to have. All right, Jerry, well, one big story that we haven't had time to discuss today on the show is the publication of Laudate Deum, which is Pope Francis's follow-up to Laudato Si. This was published the opening day of the Synod. In it, the Pope calls very strongly for the international community to make good on the climate commitments that it keeps making, uh, but doesn't always follow up on. And he also called for lifestyle changes, particularly in the U.S. We have a few analysis pieces up at americamagazine.org, and I will link to them in the show notes. It's also worth just reading the full document. It's rather short, only 11 pages. That's very good. Jerry, I look forward to seeing you in Rome very soon. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you. I haven't seen you since 2019, Colin. No, not in person. <laughs> we've, we've done so much podcasting since then. Let's get us out of here. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Ricardo da Silva. Kevin Christopher Robles is our audio engineer. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest news out of the Vatican, please follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. You can also follow me on X, formerly Twitter, at Colleen Dully. That's C O L L E E N D U L L E. And Jerry at Jerry O Rome. That's G E R R Y O R O M E. Please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Media. Just click the link in our show notes. It's easy to do. It's the best way to support our work. And remember, during the month of the Synod, you can do that for just $1 and get exclusive access to personal reflections from our team on the ground at the Synod every day. If you have a little time to spare, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Dully. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.